gods of the theater smile on us you who sit up there stern in judgment smile on us you who look down on actors and who doesn't bless this yearly festival and smile on us we offer you hello and welcome to episode 28 of thespis in the green room it's melanie here today i am talking with laura reichard Laura Reichert is an actor, director, educator, and intimacy choreographer. She received her BA in theater from the College of Charleston, an MA from Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts, and her MFA in acting from the University of Virginia. In addition, Laura trained with Elizabeth Kempt and Marjorie Ballantyne in New York, and in Commedia dell'arte, physical theater, and mask in Europe. Laura's work has been seen both in the U.S. and Europe, in New York at La Mama ETC, New Perspectives Theatre, and Carnegie Hall. She is directed for Live Arts Theatre, New Perspectives Theatre, and Henley Street Theatre. Education credits include work at the University of Virginia, Stephen F. Austin State University, and Brown University. Laura's film work includes The Lincoln, Julie and Julia, Time Flies, The Last Fruit Bar, and HBO's Veep. Laura is an award-winning actor and a member of Actors' Equity Association, Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, and the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. She has worked with world-class talent, including Sir Paul McCartney, Steven Spielberg, Nora Ephron, Daniel Day-Lewis, Sally Field, Julia Louise Dreyfus, and Meryl Streep. Laura has served on faculties at Stephen F. Austin State University, Brown University, University of Miami, and most recently joined the faculty at the University of South Carolina Upstate in Spartanburg. Laura is co-founder of Theatrical Intimacy Education, a consulting group specializing in researching, developing, and teaching best practices for stage theatrical intimacy. I had the chance to sit down and talk with Laura about her move to the Upstate and her incredible career in theater and film. Let's have a listen. I love play rehearsal. Because it's the best, because it is fun. I love play rehearsal, and I get depressed as soon as it's done. But not depressed as in like kill yourself depressed. No, I'm not into self-harm. Dude, I swear here, check my arm. See, I just use the word to emphasize a point. Show the passion that I've got. I am passionate a lot. I have magic. Right. I love play rehearsal Cause you are equipped with directions and text Life is easy in rehearsal You follow a script so you know what comes next Anywho, the point that I'm getting to is sometimes life can't work out in the way Laura, welcome to the green room Hi, thank you so much for having me It's great to have you here Laura, tell us a little bit about your start in theater. How did you get your start? Do you remember your first show? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I grew up in Batesburg, Leesville, South Carolina, which is between Aiken and Columbia off I-20. I started on stage in dance recitals, Mm -hmm. Um, but the first play I was in was a community theater production of Peter Pan. Peter Pan, and I was was a pirate. Oh, pirate. (laughs) I love it. 
But Peter Pan, that's a good place to start. It was. a really good place to start. It's funny when I look back now and I think about how into physical theater I got because I look back to that show and actually it was very physical. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I do want to talk about your journey through physical theater because that's been a huge part of your career. Mm -hmm. But before we get to that, can you tell us a little bit about your journey growing up in South Carolina and attending the College of Charleston and then going off to New York and Europe and all these exciting adventures you've been on? Sure. Uh, Well, growing up in South Carolina, uh, there weren't necessarily a lot of opportunities for professional training in theater Mm. in Baseburg, Leesville. Um, And I had an amazing, wonderful mother who went out of her way to see that um, I was exposed to professional theater, but also that I was exposed to training and craft. So I would do summer programs at a you know, various school, like North Carolina School of the Arts and Brevard College one summer. And so she would always find art, artistic camps for me. And then in high school, I was an apprentice at Trustus Theater in Columbia, South Carolina. Mm. And that changed my life. My mom used to get teary-eyed talking about it because that's where I found, like, my tribe and found other high schoolers that were like me. And they had us really involved in the shows. And we worked backstage on the shows. We were paid to like mm-hmm. run the light board. So we were treated as professionals. I mean, we were paid like $75, but we just thought it was the most amazing thing <laughs> in the world. Um, and that had a profound effect on my life. And I really wanted to go to one of the top conservatory programs. And I got in to a number of those, but I was a first-generation college student and we didn't really have the money to go to Boston University. Right. And I um, was offered almost a full ride to the College of Charleston. And I remember talking to Jim Thickpen at Trustus Theater mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, as he, he was he was arranging flowers and, and talking to him. And he uh, encouraged me to not take on all of that student loan debt and to go to the College of Charleston. And I did, and I'm so glad I did. I had a wonderful experience there with wonderful faculty and students who are my best friends to this day. And from there, I moved to New York City and started a career. Did you go right after college? I did. I worked, I graduated a semester early from college, so I worked for like a year and did theater in Charleston Mm -hmm. and saved money and moved to New York City with Sandra Garner, who's now a producer in New York and the godmother of my children. <laughs> we we found an apartment and we moved up there. And uh, I started auditioning and waiting tables, and and one thing led to another. Yeah, it's a very normal New York story for yeah. a lot of a lot of artists. Yeah, the wrapping up college and then heading up there. Can you tell us a little bit about your inspirations? Who inspired you as you were coming up? Um. Honestly, my main acting teachers, who all happen to be women, Mm. which now that I look back, I realize how unusual that was. Um, But Joy Vandervoort Cobb at the College of Charleston was a huge influence and is still a mentor to me to this day. Um, And then I had great luck to work with Elizabeth Kemp, and I trained with her in Strasbourg Technique for over a year in New York. She's gotten a lot of recognition recently um, because she coached. Lady Gaga on A Star is Born, and Mm. she was Bradley Cooper's private acting teacher, and she passed away of cancer last year. Mm. Uh, But she was a huge influence in my life because she took kind of that sort of severe side of Strasbourg's teaching and brought um, humanity Mm. and kindness to it. And then um, I trained with Marjorie Ballantyne and Stella Adler Technique. And, she, and Marjorie has an amazing studio and a studio in L.A. now with tons of 
actors working in LA coming out of it. And um, she was just a force of nature. <laughs> and, and she took acting and she made it so concise. And, and she taught me these incredible script analysis skills and, just so I got this emo- wonderful way to open up emotionally from Elizabeth, and then I got this really practical um, t- tools for digging into the script from Marjorie. And so all three of these women, Joy, Elizabeth, and Marjorie, I feel so blessed that I got to work with them. And they honestly have been my inspiration, which might be why I kept coming back to teaching, is that they also happen to be teachers as well as professionals mm. in their field. That makes sense. That makes sense. They they reached you, so now you're looking to reach other students. Yeah. Students coming up now. So yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Because I've always been fascinated by craft. Even in college, I would say, oh, one day I want to have a theater school. So why we why we approach theater and the different ways we approach it and the different methodologies, um, I'm just fascinated by all of them mm-hmm. and how every actor has to still find what works uniquely for their instrument. Right. And that is so true. Yeah. I think that's the benefit of, of the education and being exposed to various techniques and various mm-hmm. tools that you can put in your toolkit because you've got, at the end of the day, the craft is your own craft. Yeah. All the techniques are great, but you really need to expose yourself to a large variety. Yeah. And that's what I tell students. I see, you know, if we look at this like visual arts, I'm going to basically teach you how to draw lines and circles and mix paint. But what kind of artist you become is up to you. Like Picasso, Van Gogh, Monet, they all knew the basics. But the artist they became was their choice. And that's that's what you're going to have to sort out for yourself as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a really good way to, to frame it. That makes a lot of sense. I love that. It's great. And you're... A big part of your practice, as we as we mentioned before, is physical theater. Mm-hmm. How did you come to physical theater, and what drew you to that area of theater? Yeah. It's kind of a fun story. I was at an audition in New York for a movie, but I had just been cast in a kids' show by Dodger Productions that was going on tour around New York to promote the Broadway revival of Into the Woods with Vanessa Williams. All right, so it was that, that, yeah. that one. And I had just gotten the script, so I was waiting for this audition and an actor was sitting beside me at the audition and I looked over and saw that he had the same kid script that I had and his name was um, Matt Wilson and I said are you or have you been cast in that show and he said yeah and I said me too and we started talking about the audition and he said well I just used all my Commedia dell'arte in the audition and they loved it and so where can you go? I mean, I knew what Commedia was, but I was like, where do you go train for it? And he goes, oh, well, I work every year with Antonio Fava in Italy. You should come. I kind of plugged this in the back of my head. And about three years later, I had come back to South Carolina because my mom was suffering with breast cancer. And I had been her caregiver for quite a while. And she was doing well. And she said, I want to do something for you Um because you've really been here for me. And I was, and I just remembered, I said, I want to go to Italy and study Commedia. And she was like, well, let me help you do that. So I went to Italy and studied Commedia dell'arte and fell in love with the physical side of that. And that led to me eventually going to do some training with Odin Teatro in Denmark. And then that also led to my interest in biomechanics, which is why I chose to go to graduate school at the University of Virginia, because Marion Kubik is one of the only fine biomechanic teachers in the country. So that's how it got started, you know, this conversation at an audition in New York and led to this, you know, deep interest in physical theater. And I've done some Lecoq training with Dodie DeSanto out of 
out of Washington, D.C., and and some Commedia training with Christopher Bays and Carlos Garcia Estevez. So I continued my physical training with other people um, once I started and then started incorporating in that into my work as an actor. And then that also moved me into becoming a movement specialist where I teach stage movement classes and then I also coach movement in productions as well. Can you elaborate a little bit on, on how, how does movement coaching and physical theater play a part in kind of your standard play? Like if you're going to do a Neil Simon, how would a movement specialist be utilized for a show like that? Yeah, with a Neil Simon piece, say we were doing Barefoot in the Park, we might specifically look at the time period mm-hmm. of it and how that time period affects mannerisms, behavior, movement, because people, gosh, what year was that set in the 60s? Yeah, I think it was the 60s. Early 60s. There is still a definite period movement of that time. I mean, even the 80s is now period. Look at it. So one thing you could go in is help coach with period movement. But another way that stage movement specialists really help is helping actors understand how they can find the physical action in their body that can then help them respond with the correct emotional response. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, you know, actors sometimes often think that it's all about them having to pull from themselves, where the body knows what to do when it's under the right imaginary circumstances, but you have to let the body be there. And sometimes finding that physical action in an imaginary circumstance, they just need somebody to help build the bridge for that. Mm-hmm. So in Neil Simon, how um, physical comedy works in that text and that pace of piece to get to that um, truthful emotional response is going to be different than, say, working in a Tennessee Williams piece. Mm. Um, so, you know, helping character find how they, you know, if we were to use viewpoints, maybe if you're playing Blanche in Streetcar Named Desire, you might walk a lot in circular floor pattern because that's pretty and that's elegant. And that's also when you're a little bit tipsy how you walk. And she's pretty and she's elegant and she's always a little bit tipsy. Yeah. <laughs> So helping find gesture, helping find shape to character, helping find a purpose and dynamic dynamics in their movement that can then help lead to creating truthful circumstances on the stage. Because the way you move every day isn't necessarily how your character moves. And if right. you don't find the connections and how they move, then you will miss kind of why their emotional response is what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've I've often gone into help actors and they're just like, well, I just don't understand why the character is upset here. And I look at how they're playing it. I'm like, well, you're not telling your body that there's anything to be upset about. When you're laying around slouched over, slunched, you're telling your body everything's okay. And when something is actually upsetting or important in life, we get on our centers and we open up and we have to physically respond. So that's why you're not connecting because actually you're not physically doing what's appropriate for the moment. Mm. Oh, that's an excellent way to explain it. It's great. It can be such a useful tool if, like you were saying, if you can tap into that, if you can understand how to utilize m- movement as a in your character and in the world of that play, mm-hmm. you can really take your performance to another level. It's, it's yeah, yeah, and you can really see the difference between actors who who have had concise, good stage movement training mm. and actors who haven't. Usually, it's the actors you can't take your eyes off of, but you don't know why. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be looking for that in the next show I see. I'm going to be like, hmm, who's who's had some movement training? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Love it. 
And so, well, you talked about some of the, the people you've trained with and some of those experiences. What, what other highlights have there been for your career? You know, it's funny because the highlights for me aren't necessarily the glitzy right. ones. It's, it's right. because of the experience you had working on something. Um, one of my favorite experiences was playing Elsa in a professional summer stop production of Sound of Music. Ah. Because I worked with the actress playing Maria was one of the best actresses I've ever worked with. And she was such a joy and so giving. And, and, and she led that cast with the heart of Maria von Trapp. Mm-hmm. So that, that's been one of my favorite experiences. Teaching at Brown University as a visiting professor was a wonderfully unique experience because I worked with such an incredibly giving faculty. And you often think when you're working at that level of academia that it can be this you know, snarky competitive place. And I had the opposite experience. I worked with just completely confident, giving, supportive people who are all really good friends in my life now. Well, I mean, getting to work on Julie and Julia was really special. Oh, right. Uh, of course. My, my mom had actually uh, passed away at that point, And I remember being on set with Meryl Streep. And I had like, if you see the film, though, I'm in it for like two seconds and all my lines are cut out. Um, <laughs> but I just remember like s- sitting there. Um, at first, I was blocked to sit directly beside her. And I remember sitting beside her and just being like, and I just wanted to turn to her so bad and be like, oh, my God. South Carolina, my mom will be so proud of me. (laughs) (laughs) But like, you know, you stay composed because it's not the moment. Um, But that was a really special highlight because um, I got to watch her interact with Nora Ephron. You know, Mm. I got to watch them discuss character, discuss script. I got to see her make suggestions and Nora Ephron say no and yes. And, you know, and see how that's navigated at that level, Mm -hmm. um, which is such an education. Right. To bring back, um, you know, and the same with Lincoln. I got to see um, how Daniel Day-Lewis actually works and, you know, how much of what they say uh, say about that is actually a myth and what is really his process. And I got to see Steven Spielberg direct Sally Field and on a day when she was having a rough day and see how he handled that and mm. the level. Of, and I actually got to see him direct a child in a really emotional scene and to see the level of care that he takes. Mm-hmm. Actually, one one of my big, biggest highlights, this was one I thought of I wanted to tell you, um, was when I was at the University of Miami, I directed Spring Awakening. Mm. And I was on faculty at the time with Terrell McCranny, who wrote Moonlight. Mm. And he was actually going back and forth to L.A. in the awards season while he choreographed Spring Awakening for us. Because not only can he write and act, he can also dance. Mm. <laughs> and he was so giving and kind and gentle. And, you know, what I've learned is when I've seen these sort of giants in the industry, I've been lucky enough to see ones who come from a kind and gentle and giving place, mm-hmm. um, which I think is what not what people expect. Right. But that production was a really amazing production. And we were very much a family and cared for each other um, on that very special show. And then we, at the end of that year, uh, the actress playing uh, playing one of the parts uh, actually died in a tragic accident the day after graduation. Oh my gosh. And my daughter is named after her now. Um, but it was that's just a really special show to get to work on and get to work on it with, uh, you know, someone like Terrell who was so giving and so honest about some of the things in the show that were difficult for him. 
personally and then to also see him process that with us while he was getting off the red eye from award ceremonies mm-hmm. and you know and I would say you know Terrell I can change your rehearsal schedule so you don't have to come straight from the Oscar brunch and he mm-hmm. was like no no I'm committed to doing this don't do that so I mean just the humbleness and the kindness and the love that um the, the people I've seen um bring is a, a highlight for me mm. as it should be I mean it's to see that kind of compassion and that kind of camaraderie, mm-hmm. it's such a blessing in, in our work. It is, it's so necessary. It just makes everything so much better. Yeah. Uh, but you don't always get it. I mean, and and when, for and, various reasons. And I think when it's there in the process, the audience receives it. Mm-hmm. I, I really, really do. Absolutely. It's made with love. You mm-hmm. know, it truly is. Mm-hmm. Now, you've been part of this organization, Theatrical Intimacy Education, that Mm -hmm. you are the co-founder with your partner, Chelsea Pace. Mm -hmm. What prompted you to start this organization and and what is it? Well, I had been working within my classroom on trying to come up with ways to instill better self-care for my students and to give students a voice in self-care. And I was also questioning myself in as a director, I wanted better skills when it came to staging intimacy. And how I recognized um, that I wanted to create those skills was I started getting asked as a stage movement person, hey, can you come work on this scene on my show? And I would go, go by and see, see the show and it would be the love scene. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's interesting that they're starting to ask me to fix the love scenes. And at the same time, um, I started presenting and talking about uh, this, what I call practicing vulnerability and self-care work at the Association for Theater and Higher Education Conference, which is known as ATHA. And I met Chelsea Pace at this conference. We were also a member, we are also members of ATME, which is the Association for Theater Movement Educators. And... Chelsea was introduced to me through a mutual friend named uh, Jason David Scott, and he said, Chelsea is um, finishing grad school, and she's been researching staging intimacy. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And we started being paired by other people to speak on panels at conferences. So, you know, other people would reach out to her and me and say, come speak on this panel, and we'd show up, and there was Chelsea again, and there was Laura again. So... At the 2017 ATHA conference, we were presenting yet again, Mm -hmm. and I had just done a presentation on my own for what's called the pre-conference directors, and it was a mix of this work I had learned from Chelsea and a mix of the work I was doing, and immediately uh, people, and this was, you know, right before the Me Too movement, people at that pre-conference started inviting me to come teach at their universities. Can you come be a guest artist? Can you come do this work? And I was, oh, uh, well, sure. I, I mean, this is just something I do in my classrooms. But yeah, or, or okay. And I went to Chelsea and, and I said, Chelsea, you know, people are really interested in what we do for our research that we are just doing out of our own interest and in wanting to be better educators. And I said, we need, we need to make a Google hub, our Google spot for people, I think, to find us. And she was like, I've been thinking the same thing. So she was having the idea at the same time. And so she said, let's sit down. Let's make a website. And we talked through everything there. Like, okay, let's see where this goes. Well, people will know how to find us now. This is where we can share the information. Great. And that's really how it got started. Like it was no grand business plan, no money-making idea. <laughs> it was, oh, people want to know what we do. So let's 
let's form who we are and start um, researching more together. And so we did. We formed it. We, we created Theatrical Intimacy Education. And we spent, you know, the next year and a half, we meet every week, sometimes twice a week, putting together our training program, pulling it from our research, researching more things. Because the benefit of me and Chelsea both being educators as well as people who work in the educational theater is we get to see how these practices are working immediately in the classroom Mm -hmm. or in a rehearsal process. And we can come back and tweak them, let them grow. We can bring questions that we get every day and come back and see how we can answer those questions and make the practices better. So that's how we formed. For Chelsea, um, digging into the research came out of her just wondering, like, why has no one told me how to stage this kiss? I'm being assigned this kissing scene, but no one's told me how to stage it. So out of just sheer curiosity. So that's how we started. So really through education, once again, the Association of Theater and Higher Education brought us together. And now, you know, it's this very formalized business <laughs> and, you know, we've done the paperwork and, and um, you know, and, pe- and people are interested and they want to learn the work. And so we're just now looking into how we grow. And every time we teach a workshop, we go back with more questions and we develop more skills uh, and we we tweak things and change things and hopefully make it better and more accessible and really, really practical. Our work is really pra- practical. And there's a reason we say ethical, efficient, and effective, because we want you to be able to walk out of the room with us and walk into your classroom and say, hey, I got these skills and I can immediately bring them into the room for uh, for best practices. Would you say it's about making rehearsal and classroom environments safer? I think that's a byproduct of it. I okay. think that it absolutely does make it safer. I think this, I'm going to give you the the little speech that I give at the beginning of all our workshops. <laughs> okay, yeah. But it really sums up for me what's at the core of this. So we always say, oh, uh, your mind and body is your instrument to the actor. This is your instrument. You have to take care of it. Mm-hmm. We say that all the time. So let's look at that metaphor literally. If the violinist shows up for rehearsal or when the violinist shows up for rehearsal her violin is in a case it's protected she takes she gets there in time to take it out to polish it to tune it to warm up to make sure the bows on her the strings on her bows are all there you know she gets that time with her instrument and then if rehearsing with the conductor the conductor were to say hey i think you should throw that instrument down and step on it that's going to make the sound i need here the violinist would easily be able to say, no, that's not going to work. And nobody would think they're a hard-to-work-with musician. Right. So, and then maybe the violinist would say, what do you want artistically? What do you, what sound are you going for there? And let me see if I can make that without damaging the instrument. Mm-hmm. And that, adding that voice into the pedagogy of theater and into the profession of creating performance is what this work is about to me. Because so many people in this industry are afraid of being hard to work with. And I believe that's because we are in a yes and profession. Mm -hmm. So they get confused about when is it an okay time to say, no, we need to talk about this. Because the confusion lies in, if I say, no, I need to talk about this. Do I look like I'm not an actor who will say yes to anything creatively? And that is not the case. If we want boundless creativity, we have to have some boundaries. Mm-hmm. And that's what this work is about. What is the space? What is the breathing room to say, hey, 
we can get what we need to get artistically, but we can do it without damaging your instrument, which is your mind and your body. So what are the tools and skills for the actor and the person in power in the room, the director, the stage manager, the teacher? How do we honestly know when we're getting consent? How can we give them a way of saying, hey, I need to speak about this. I'm not hijacking rehearsal. I'm not trying to be emotionally self-indulgent. It's just what you're asking might damage my instrument. So we need to find another way of doing it. Or, hey, I have a boundary here. This is my boundary. You don't need to know why it's my boundary. Um, And we can get what you want creatively, but we're going to honor my boundary. And that's what's at the core of this. Does that make things safer? Yes, sure. Hopefully, does that curb inappropriate behavior by people with power in the room? Absolutely. I think it does. I I think it makes you reflect on the responsibility of having power in the room. So that's really the core of what it's about. Mm, that's good. That's I think that's very clear. I love the analogy of the violin because mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. People can see that as a physical thing. And I do think there is, I mean, we're kind of, at least when I was coming through the early days of drama school in my life, it was very much, no, you obey. You do yeah. what you're told, you, you obey. You get through it no matter what. Right. You can't have a, a say. I think that the reason that has found its way into the industry is that's kind of... The found, if we look at the people who laid the foundation, particularly for American theater training, mm-hmm. um, you know, going back to Stanislavski and mm-hmm. then Adler, Strasberg, Meisner, Michael Chekhov, Bobby Lewis, great acting teachers laid an amazing foundation for us, but they weren't concerned about your self-care in the moment. Right. You know, they were going to get the performance no matter what. And that intensity got laid into our foundation. But we evolve. And we are now at a point at a time in our industry where we can sit back and say, oh, this has been missing. So how do how can we get this in? Right. Right. And I think it is about time because yeah. there's no reason we can't take a moment for the self-care because that, again, that's the instrument. And even if you are a director or producer or music director or whoever you are, if you want to look at it as a product as opposed to human, fine. Yeah. But you're going to damage your product. Yeah. Well, or if you want the product to, to be out there and be repeatable, yeah. the process of getting there has to have some um, some space to breathe in it. Right. Exactly. So this is this is excellent. I'm, I'm so glad that this, this work is out there. Yeah. Not just for the the intimacy and the sexual nature and the, you know, the very vulnerable place that people can get. But just for that, having this mindset, even when it's not about a sex scene or nudity or something. I had a student the other day. So we have something we call button and theatrical intimacy, which is a phrase we, a word we encourage you to say at any time in rehearsal or in class. Mm. If you feel like there's a moment that you need, to check in maybe about choreography or if you need a moment of self-care mm-hmm. um, and you need to make the teacher or the director aware of that. And I had a student a student recently, I was so proud of her. We were dealing with, a, you know, a fake gun in the scene. I mean, for the characters, a real gun, but a fake gun. And she started to say, button, button, button. And I said, you need to step outside? She said, yeah. And we walked outside and and it was clear. She didn't even have to say anything. And I, and I, I said, you don't want to do a scene with a gun in any way. And she said, I can't. I said, oh. And she went to explain. And I said, you know what? 
You don't have to tell me why. It's clear that you're not in a place to deal with this with your imagination or even with a prop, and that's okay because it's class. So we're going to pull the scene. We're going to get you a new scene. I'm the teacher. I'm in charge. It's fine. And you get to be a great example to your classmates of how you can take care of yourself in your training. Mm. And, and then we checked in about was she taking care of the issue in the appropriate ways and did she need my help in doing that? Mm. But she never had to tell me her story. She never had to tell me why. All she had to let me know was, I can't do this right now. And that was fine because guess what? There's a million other scenes that I can pull for her to work on that don't deal with guns in any way. Right. But the old school mentality is, no, if you can't deal with this, then how are you ever going to be a professional? Right. And I would say to that, well, how are you going to sustain a career if you don't know how to how to take care of what you can and cannot deal with? Right. Yes. Good stuff. You've explained a lot about how your organization, Theatrical Intimacy Education, its mission and why it was it started. How do you interact with the industry? How does it serve? You mentioned something about workshops, I think. Yeah. So you do workshops and... We do lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So we... Um, Chelsea and I both work as intimacy choreographers, so sometimes people just call us and say, hey, can you come in and work on our show for a couple of days and be the intimacy choreographer for this production? And if we can do it, we do it. We also, uh, we teach workshops. So we teach two-day workshops whenever we can fit them into our schedule and uh, or if we have an organization who wants to host us. Mm -hmm. So we just had one in uh, Baltimore. We have one coming up in June in New York City. They're all on our website one coming up in Dallas in the fall and another at Salt Lake City. And one more might be added this year. And then I think that's all we can do for this year. And then we also get brought in by theater companies and um, educational places like universities and colleges mainly, sometimes high schools, uh, to teach workshops uh, for them specifically. And sometimes that's just a half-day workshop or a full-day workshop. If they can get us in for two days, we'll do two days. So I have two one-day workshops coming up later this month, both at universities in North Carolina. So we work a number of different ways depending on, on the needs and what people can afford or the time that they'll give us. You know, ideally we wish everyone would bring us in for a full two-day workshop so we can give them all the information that we have and we're finding even all of two days, we can't quite give you everything. Mm. Um, but if you can only give us five hours, we'll tailor that five hours to what your needs are. And so that's how we work as far as getting the work out there. Mm -hmm. And then Chelsea and I, we still meet every week and add things to the pedagogy. Because um, this is what this is. This is a new pedagogy. Um, this is a new aspect of teaching theater, um, a new tool for, te um, for creating theater. And so... Uh, you know, she she has these different um, levels of touch that she's put into her language of choreography called the ingredients. And she just came up with another way we could look at that that might that works better for applied theater. So now we're looking into that and, and how we can teach that and say, oh, OK. And if you're an applied theater teacher, you might want to use this language instead. So it's not just that we're also teaching what we already know. We're constantly researching and growing what mm -hmm. we already know. Oh, that's wonderful. And what's the website so people can find you? Theatricalintimacyeducation.com. Pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah. So changing gears a little bit, this has been a huge year for you personally. Mm -hmm. You have recently become a new mom. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, you made a big move. You were based in Miami. 
and teaching at the University of Miami. Mm-hmm. And now you're here in Spartanburg and you're working with the University of South Carolina Upstate. Yeah. You're teaching. I so, love it. I'm never leaving. Unless they make <laughs> me leave. I hope they don't. That's good. That's good. So tell us a little bit about that journey and what provoked this big change and, and what what's exciting you about Spartanburg? Well, it was really exciting working at the University of Miami, um, and I was teaching in their conservatory program, and um, and teaching that's considered, I think they're in the top 12 programs in the United States. So it was a privilege to work there, and I had some amazing students. Life also had a lot to do with this. Um, I grew up in South Carolina, my family is here, and uh, my husband so when I got the job at the University of Miami, he was finishing up his PhD, and then he got a tenure track position at the University of North Carolina Asheville, which was his dream job. He's a computer science professor, not theater at all. And I couldn't tell him, no, don't take that job. And we didn't think we were going to have children. We thought that ship had sailed. Um, <laughs> so we were like, okay, we'll have this long distance academic marriage. We had met people who knew it and did it, and that was kind of our plan. When I very surprisingly um, got pregnant, and then we found out it was twins. (laughs) Um, But I had been uh, curious about coming back to the Carolinas. I was starting to miss him and miss being in my family. And um, luckily, the University of South Carolina, I had to leave my position at Miami. And we decided that I would leave Miami and we would raise our kids um, up here because that was closer to my family. Right. And hard to do long distance. (laughs) And hard to do long distance. So, um, So it wasn't that like, oh, we chose the man's job over the woman's job. It actually wasn't that. It was choices about, oh, we're going to have two kids now. We should be maybe closer to my family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and then luckily, uh, there was a position at the University of South Carolina Upstate, and I fell in love with the school when I visited it. I thought the faculty were delightful. I thought the students were amazing. They were just as talented as any students I had taught anywhere else and just as eager and um, so I was really excited when there when when I was offered the position to come here. And it just kind of my life just sort of perfectly fell into place. Like I'm back home where I really wanted to be for years. Um, I have these two beautiful daughters and, you know, I have a wonderful husband and we very much live in the upstate area because, you know, we're in between Asheville and here. Mm-hmm. And so I do a lot of driving, which I don't mind. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that's. That's kind of what brought me back. But it's it's really exciting for me to be back teaching at a South Carolina state school, like where I went, teaching in a BA liberal arts program, which was my background, and teaching a lot of first-generation college students, which is also my background. So I see and understand personally a lot of the challenges that our students face, and I feel like I can help them um, overcome those. And it's just really exciting to be here and to be creating work here. And the faculty is just delightful. The students are wonderful. And I'm finding the Spartanburg community and the upstate community really welcoming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of exciting things happening here. It's such development over the... I grew up here. Yeah. And it's just not the same place that I grew up in. It's just booming the upstate. Yeah. So And when I reached out to people and said, hey, I'm in the area. If you need me, let me know. They've reached back, which yeah. is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, we're, we're so lucky to have you well, and all you. your experience and bringing the work you do with intimacy and choreography and movement, but also your incredible 
acting background and directing background. Thanks for coming. Oh, thanks. <laughs> We're so lucky thanks to have me. you. So what what are your goals with this new stage of your career? I'm excited to, Jim Cotts created a wonderful program here at USC Upstate, and I'm excited to help that program move into its next stage. So, you know, my career goals here at USC Upstate is to, you know, work with the faculty here, which is led by Lee Nybert, and he's so giving and kind. You know, we're looking into growing the program, um, getting more students, getting more publicity for our shows, building our audiences, um, building more diversity in our seasons and in our curriculum. So, you know, that's some of the big goals at the university, which I'm excited about. And theatrical intimacy is a part of that. You know, that's part of my academic research that, you know, my goal for it is for it to serve as many people who want to be served by it and just to continue researching these practices so we can get dangerous, exciting, brave performances without traumatizing the people creating them. So how theatrical intimacy education grows I don't have a specific, this is what it has to become. Mm-hmm. I just want it to keep going and moving and and, and just keep supporting and be a part of that. Uh, you know, because I was pregnant with twins and I also had a really unusual, uh, terrible pregnancy that did, and ultimately I have, I'm so lucky I have two beautiful, healthy babies, but um, we had something called twin to twin transfusion syndrome. So an acting goal for me is to write a one-woman show about that experience mm-hmm. and because I've developed a couple of one-woman shows. So that's one of my next goals to create a one-woman show about that experience. And then I would really like to get back um, directing, not just educationally, but professionally. Um, so that's been off the table because that was a little hard when you were on bed rest with twins. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd like, you know, I'm looking forward to getting back to that part of my career. And luckily, USC Upstate will give me my first opportunity. I'm directing Anonymous by Naomi Azuka here in the fall. Um, and then I'll be directing Three Sisters here next spring. So directing will be back in my life, which I'm excited about. Ooh, exciting. So those are my career goals. Yay. No, good goals. Oh, and some checkoff coming. We like yes. that. I don't think I've seen Chekhov in the Upstate in a while. Oh, so, okay. yeah. Oh, well, cross exciting. your fingers. Yeah, no, I'm excited, excited. Well, that's some projects coming up in the distant future. Is there anything coming up sooner that we should be on the lookout for? Well, this uh, Thursday at USC Upstate, How to Succeed in Business is opening at USC Upstate. So please, although I wasn't directly, directly involved in that, a lot of the students on stage are my students. So please come and support them. See it. It's a really funny, great show. In the meantime, Theatrical Intimacy Education has their next two-day workshop in New York uh, in June. And we are um, currently in the process of trying to um, find a time to host a two-day workshop in the region. So just so you know, we're working on that. Yeah, you know, right now in the moment, I'm just looking forward to um, weaning babies off of bottles. <laughs> that's, my, that's another personal goal. Well, that's that's a major project. So. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Laura. This has been a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you.
hope you enjoyed my chat with Laura. She is certainly an asset to the Upstate Theatre community, and I, for one, am looking forward to engaging with her work. And, of course, much work is happening on the Upstate stages this weekend, so here are the show listings. Another road in another show In Philly, Boston, or Baltimore Now playing in the upstate of South Carolina for the week of April 7, 2019. The Shoestring Players at the University of South Carolina Upstate in Spartanburg opens How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying on Thursday, April 11th and runs through Sunday, April 14th. The Spartanburg Youth Theater opens Junie B. Jones is Not a Crook on Friday, April 12th and continues with two performances on Saturday, April 13th. Greenville Theatre opens Leaving Iowa on Friday, April 12th, and runs on various days through Saturday, April 28th. Newberry Community Players Young Players opens Stranded on Friday, April 12th, and runs through Sunday, April 14th. Greenville's International Ballet opens Cultura on Saturday, April 13th, and continues on Sunday, April 14th. And continuing this weekend... Oconee Community Theater in Seneca continues A Bad Year for Tomatoes on Friday, April 12th and runs through Sunday, April 14th. Abbeville Opera House continues Hank Williams' Lost Highway on Friday, April 12th and runs Fridays and Saturdays through April 20th. North Greenville University continues Taming of the Shrew on Thursday, April 11th and will continue through Saturday, April 13th. Furman University Theater in Greenville continues John Proctor is the Villain on Thursday, April 11th and runs through Sunday, April 14th. Anderson University continues Dickens' Great Expectations on Thursday, April 11th and runs through April 13th. Foothills Playhouse in Easley continues their production of Charlotte's Web on Friday, April 12th and runs through Sunday, April 14th. The Milltown Players in Pelzer continues Pump Boys and Dinettes Thursday, April 11th and runs through Sunday, April 14th. The Logos Theater in Taylor's continues The Horse and His Boy on Friday, April 12th and runs alternating Thursdays and every Friday and Saturday through April 27th. Greenville's Cafe and Then Some's ongoing show Say What continues on various days through the month of April. Alchemy Comedy Theater offers a variety of improv and sketch shows on various times and on various days at Coffee Underground in Greenville. Check the individual theater's websites for more details. Then follow. Hello there, theater people. We hope you are enjoying spending time in the green room. Want to stay updated? Like and follow Thespis in the Green Room on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Thespis G. That's at sign Thespis G. T H E S P I S G. Want to support Thespis in the Green Room? If you like what you're hearing and want to encourage us to continue conversations in the green room, you can become a patron of the show. Visit our Patreon page. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Thespis G. And donate today. No amount is too small and every little bit helps. Patrons will receive special content and audio extras through our Patreon page. Check it out at Patreon.com slash Thespis G. Good night and thank you whoever 
We are grateful you found her a spot on the sound radio. We'll think of you every time she... Special thanks to Dick Stevens of Stevens Magic and Fun. He can be found on Facebook at Stevens Magic and Fun. Thespis would like to extend a big thank you to our fellow podcasters, Teddy and the Bassman, for their help and guidance. Listeners can find Teddy and the Bassman at teddyandthebassman.podbean.com or through podcast players, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Thespis in the Green Room is a Courageous Crossings production. Music used in this podcast is licensed by ASCAP and BMI. What comes next? You've been freed. And that's all from the Green Room today. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>